You are Locked On MLB Prospects, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. And here's your host, Aram Layton. This is Locked On MLB Prospects, your go-to podcast on the future stars of Major League Baseball. As always, I'm your host, Arm Layton. I'm a prospect writer and analyst, as well as the founder of JustBaseball.com. And in today's episode, which is brought to you by RockAuto.com, we're going to talk about the all-star team, or I guess the all-prospect team that I put together after this season, where... Kind of like the NBA, how they do their first team All-NBA. That's what I wanted to do with these prospects here. I thought it would be a fun little exercise, but it was also really hard. It was really, really hard because there were so many phenomenal seasons at the same position which made it really difficult. And there were some situations where I probably could have went with anybody. Like there was multiple players. You could have went either way, but I ended up siding with these guys and I'll make the case for each of them as I go through it here. But a lot of interesting emergent players as well. Emergent in the respect that they maybe fell off the radar a little bit after being an early draft pick and really resurged or just kind of came out of nowhere. And I gave those guys a little bit of a bump because if you're exceeding your expectations by a mile and put up similar numbers to somebody that was expected to do the same thing, I got to give the guy that really just came out of nowhere a little bit more of an edge and they're a bit more fun to talk about. So let's jump right into it here where we have a guy who really turned things around. It is MJ Melendez who had as good of a year as you could possibly have, especially after such an abysmal 2019 season. I mean, it was a really rough one for him. And he's a former second round pick overslot guy, borderline first round talent, signed away from college and was expected to do a lot of things. Yes, a little bit more of a glove first guy when he was first drafted, but his father, the college coach, Merville Melendez at Florida International University, he had the makeup, he had the background, he had the savviness. Of course, when your dad is a college baseball coach, you're going to be generally a heady player, especially if you're a catcher, and you could see that in Melendez's game. So the Royals were very interested in that, but the bat wasn't bad. So they really liked what he profiled as, especially as a left-handed hitting catcher. And It was a decent start for him to his professional career, and then he really hit that wall in high A, similar to the way Nick Prado did, who, spoiler alert, will be on this list too. They both hit a wall simultaneously. I don't know what was in the water in high A for both of those guys to just really hit this brick wall, but they both also turned it around a year and a half later, roughly, and it was so fun to watch both these guys go about it this year. The numbers on the season between double A and triple A, and he was the home run champion this year in the minor leagues with 41 bombs, 288, 386, 625 slash line, 41 bombs, as mentioned, 63 extra base hits, 103 driven in. That's uh, pretty good. Last time I checked, 162 WRC plus, that'll play. That'll definitely play. And you're getting that from a catcher's position? That's absurd. The only other guy that I think could have really had a case there had he not gotten injured, Gabriel Moreno, somebody that I've been talking about forever, and I was so excited to see him get off to that hot start, unfortunately dealt with a thumb injury. He's going to be fine. He's going to come back next year and absolutely mash in double A and force his way up, probably to knocking on the door for the major leagues by the end of the season, depending on how the defense is coming along, but I thought the defense looked pretty strong. There just was nobody nearly on that level that MJ Melendez was on, and 
to get a little bit into the changes that he made, they go all the way back to, and this was talking to MJ's dad, actually, and getting a little bit of insight on what worked for him. Yes, he made some adjustments with his setup and his stance, and he put his hands in a more comfortable place. He was in a more athletic setup as well, more into his legs, but also it goes back to the cage and how he was approaching his batting practice. He said he was somebody that used to take a million swings until he felt right in the batting cage. And you almost get into just swing mode. You get into autopilot and you're not thinking about those swings as much. And over the last year or so, he went into the cage and was thinking, if I take 15 swings and I like the way I feel and I am focusing on the things that I need to focus on and I'm really paying attention, to each individual swing and reinforcing that muscle memory, then I'll cut it short. I'm not just going to swing to swing and take tired swings and as a result, kind of develop some bad habits. And that's exactly what Melendez has put forward in his thought process when he's in the cage. And I think that's had a big effect and big impact on him having that continuous feel, being able to repeat his swing and finding that comfort zone. The stance is obviously a lot more comfortable for him. He seems to be in a much better spot. His lower half was so inconsistent earlier on. I was watching some old video of Melendez and he was a big time drifter where you'd see his lower half and his hips shift forward. The bat would drag and he would really struggle to catch up to velocity and really just to catch up to everything, anything up or elevated and would roll over or or, you know, top anything that was off speed or a breaking ball. So definitely some great improvements from Melendez. <laughs> I mean, I think the numbers speak for themselves and he has to be the catcher for this all prospect team. No doubt about it. Moving forward, you got to think that he has a chance to compete for an opening day spot on this Royals team, given that he continued to rake in AAA and the defense looks good behind the dish. The problem is Salvador Perez was extended and it looks like the Royals have no plans on moving Perez to DH, which is insane to me because I have a few stats for you that may help contextualize what kind of defender Salvador Perez is at this point in his career. And he had an unbelievable year at the plate and I'm so excited to see Perez hitting the way he's hitting. It was so fun to watch him do what he did. But my number one reference point for catching is baseball prospectus. They do catching defensive adjustment or catcher's defensive adjustment and fielding runs above average. Both are really strong for catchers. I think above almost anything else you're going to look at, but you could look at any metric you want. He's eighth percentile in framing per baseball savant, but you look at this stat. The catcher's defensive adjustment, he ranks 106th out of 106 qualified catchers in baseball. He's the worst defensive catcher in baseball by baseball prospectus. And not only that, his catching defensive adjustment is CDA, as I'll refer to it moving forward now, minus 12.9. The next worst is minus 10 in Zach Collins. Next worst is minus 9. And then you have negative 6. The 103rd worst is still only one half as bad as Salvador Perez. So Salvador Perez is twice as bad as the 103rd ranked defensive catcher by this metric. And I'm not here to just bash Salvador Perez. And I'm always going to want to see the prospects get a little bit more action. But you can't tell me that MJ Melendez would be worse than that or even remotely as bad as that. And I've seen Melendez behind the dish. I like what he does. I know that Perez brings value with his savviness behind the dish and the way he calls a game. But that's one of the things that 
Melendez earns really high marks for, and he could be groomed by Salvador. So I know he's getting reps at third, is MJ Melendez, and hopefully they'll split some time behind the dish, and Salvador can groom him in the mental side of things. And Salvador was once a good catcher, and I think he could really help him as well. I think it's more physical limitations at this point for Salvi Perez, but it'll be interesting to see how they decide to navigate that entire situation over there in Kansas City for a team that should be pretty fun to watch next year because they've got another guy in Nick Prado. My first baseman on this all prospect list that had a fantastic, fantastic year after a dreadful, dreadful 2019. 265, 385, 602 slash line between double and triple A, 36 bombs, 155 WRC plus. And it's just a full 180 from this guy. He was a first round pick and a 14th overall pick in 2017. And when you're a first round pick and a first baseman, it's expected that you have to just mash. It's rare to see a first baseman drafted that early out of high school, but Prado was that pure of a hitter, was seen as the most polished prep hitter in the draft. And not only that, he was also seen as a gold glove caliber defender. And while defense is not as important at first base, that's a pretty nice, uh, that's icing on the cake to say the least. I think it's even more than that especially when you're as good defensively as Prado is. The defense never went anywhere. You saw that throughout his professional career. But another player who got off to a decent start and then hit a wall in high A along with MJ Melendez. 191, 278, 310 slash line in 124 high A games. Struck out a ton. And then just did a total 180 this year. He made some adjustments with his swing as well and always had a solid approach. He just seemed to be really losing who he was as a hitter and trying to do too much. Not the case this year. He cut his K rate down by 5%. Yes, he could still improve the K rate overall, which hovered around 29% between the two levels, but still to improve in that regard and also boost the walk rate up to 15%, as I'm going to say a million times on this podcast, no two strikeout rates are the same. And when you are hedging those strikeout numbers with a lot of walks and Prado walks a lot, it's not quite as bad uh, of, of a 29% K rate. And that remained pretty consistent between double A AA and triple A. I'd like to see it more in the 25% range, but as long as he keeps it under 30 and walks at an above 10% clip, he's in good shape. And that's exactly what he did this year. And it was just a spectacular season from him. Power to all fields, similar to Melendez. And whatever the Royals, I don't even know if the Royals can take credit for this or these were two individuals that really figured it out on their own. Two guys that really had wonderful turnarounds and the Royals have to be so excited about that because you already had Bobby Witt Jr. and he had some really exciting pitching prospects. But to have these guys turn around and do what they did this year has to be a huge boost for them and a 602 slugging percentage. I mean, that is just some kind of year from Nick Prado who should be knocking on the door of the big leagues this coming year as well. Coming in at second base is a player who has just really thrusted onto my radar because going into the year, I was not really paying attention to Nick York. I wasn't, but Nick York of the Boston Red Sox, the more I watch of this guy, the more I like him. And he is just such a well-rounded hitter, such a smooth, easy swing. And there was a big question, and I wrote a full feature piece on Nick York uh, a few weeks back, maybe even a month or two back at this point, about how he's proven the Red Sox right and how he has 
really made them look incredibly intelligent for taking a chance on him and doesn't even look like he was taking a chance on him. It looks like they just did their due diligence. There were questions about York because he was relegated to second base for the most part because he had shoulder procedure done in high school. They didn't know how much power he was going to hit for because he's just about six foot, 195 pounds, and that might be a little bit generous. He might be below six foot. So you're looking at a second baseman with some power questions that doesn't quite stack up to a first round pick. But he answered those power questions, which I'll get to in a moment. But also, the Red Sox claim they they saw him as one of the most polished high school hitters in the draft, while some other teams had a fifth-round grade on him. So one of the more polarizing prospects, the Red Sox were able to get him in the underslot because other teams looked at him as more of a day-two guy, and he's really proven them right. Between low A and high A, 325, 412, 516 slash line, 14 home runs, 39 extra base hits, only a 15% K rate and a 12% walk rate. Spectacular. Absolutely spectacular first professional season from this kid. He rarely chases, rarely expands the zone, makes adjustments pitch to pitch. When he does get beat on a pitch, you see that guy on the mound go back to it and they won't beat him a second time. He makes those adjustments. He's a very smart hitter. And what's really impressed me is I think part of the reason why he's able to make those adjustments is that he is so quick to the ball from when he is ready to launch his hands forward to the point of contact. He is so quick to the ball that he's able to wait a bit longer. I talk about this with Spencer Torkelson, how they're able to make later decisions because they're so simple with their swing and are so quick to the point of contact, they can get away with making later decisions. More time to make decisions means a better chance you make the right decision. And That's exactly what Nick York did. He made a lot of right decisions this year, as made evident by his K to BB rate that we saw just was spectacular throughout the year. 14 home runs in 97 games was the big, big surprise for me. And it's really amazing how easy he's able to generate power for a guy that's not that imposing with his frame and also doesn't have much movement. His head hardly moves. He doesn't have much of a leg kick. It's an easy timing mechanism. And he just unleashes on the ball and lets those hands eat and There is plenty to be excited about for Red Sox fans with this kid. He's going to be a very, very special player, I think, and a very high floor prospect that I had ranked 36th in our top 100. That's how impressed I was with him this year. And the glove looks solid at second base as well. The arm looks 100% healthy also, which is very encouraging. The next guy, third baseman, this is somebody that came out of nowhere, absolutely out of nowhere, and... Again, I wasn't even thinking about this guy. I probably didn't even really know who he was before this season. I'll fully admit it. I mean, I had the name recognition. I remembered when he was drafted, but that was about it. Jose Miranda of the Twins, second round pick in 2016. Just wow. Wow, did he just take his game to another level. He was a player that was selected out of the Carlos Beltran Academy, if I'm not mistaken, in Puerto Rico. At the time, was the highest drafted player in that school's history until Heliot Ramos was drafted a year later uh, in the first round. But the talent was there. So he's not some 30th round pick nobody. He was a guy that was taken in the second round out of high school. But he quickly fell off the radar posting back-to-back sub-100 WRC plus seasons in 2018 and 2019. And as a guy that was not the most exciting with the glove, is not an absolute burner on the base paths, you were really hoping for the bat to shine through. And it wasn't even average. So there was not much to be hoping for, holding your breath for with a Jose Miranda. 
until he showed up this year and hit 344, 401, 572 between AA and AAA, 30 home runs, 62 extra base hits, 158 WRC+. And I'll be honest, I was just waiting for Miranda to come back down to earth, and he never did. He never did. And the more I watched, the more I realized that that swing plays, his swing plays from the left side, and he really figured it out. Part of what worked for him was he put on about 10 to 15 pounds of muscle. So a lot of the flyouts, the deep flyouts that he was hitting, because he was somebody that was always looking to lift the ball. He was an aggressive hitter as well, always putting the ball in play, but just not with enough authority. Those balls were now leaving the yard a bit more. They were beating the outfielders over the head. I believe it was almost up to 20 pounds that he added on his frame. So that's how you're able to more than double up your home run total from 13 to 30, putting on some of that muscle and making some slight adjustments to your swing. He also vastly improved his approach. As I watched some old at-bats of his, he was just in swing mode all the time, always looking to just put the ball in play. And again, speed's not a huge part of his game. So he toned down that aggressive approach a tad. He's still an aggressive hitter, which is okay, because now he's aggressive and the ball's leaving the yard. Before he was aggressive and they were singles and flyouts. So that's one side of it. Also, he's toned it down a little bit enough that... A 7% walk rate is still slightly below average, but it, it's solid for compared to where he was, where at times he was walking 3 4% of the time. You just can't. It's so hard to get away with that. Even Salvador Perez, who I, I feel like I'm bashing on the poor guy too much, but he's already on the forefront of my mind. Phenomenal year, but only got on base at something like a 317 clip, which really hurts your overall value. So even though he hit all those home runs, you know, he wasn't maximizing his value because he's so aggressive and Salvi Perez only walked about 3% of the time as well. So that's something that Miranda really improved on. I'm interested to see how he continues to develop that. But the one stat that really shows everything is that when he didn't have the strength that he has now and the ability to, when he lifts the ball, have it carry out of the air was that his home run to fly ball rate was only 5% in 2019, meaning only 5% of the balls that he hit in the air left the yard. That changed a lot in 2021, where 25% of his fly balls resulted in a homer. And you might think, oh, that's not sustainable. It is when you are able to add that strength. That's a rate that a lot of home run hitters live at. And it seems like Jose Miranda is very much a home run hitter now and a top 100 prospect and somebody that should have been up, frankly, this year for the Twins. But we know how it works with the service time manipulation and all that good stuff. He's 23 years old and he should be on the opening day roster next year. If he's not, uh, I'm not going to be happy about it. And I'll be honest because he's ready to go. We got shortstop, DH, outfield, and pitchers coming up in the second half of the podcast. But before I get there, a reminder that this episode is brought to you by rockauto.com. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it's now impossible for you to go to your local chain store or auto parts store and find all the parts that you need. Not only do they not have the endless selection that Rock Auto has, it's more expensive to go to the chain store or the car dealership, and it's just generally a headache to deal with. Why do that when you can just go to rockauto.com and use your easy-to-navigate website to find whatever car parts you need, any make or model. You can save time and money while using Rock Auto. Why choose to pay 30, 50, 100% more for the same auto parts from that chain store or car dealership when you can just go to rockauto.com, a family-owned business that's been serving the do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years. Their prices are reliably low for every customer. They have everything you need from brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, or even that new carpet. 
go check out that website and explore their easy to use site and find any car part you need. They ship it straight to your door. It's that simple. Go to rockauto.com to see what they have available, right? Locked on in there. How did you hear about us box? So they know we sent you amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Rockauto.com. Also brought to you by betonline.ag. Betonline is back and better than ever with a new web interface and ready for the basketball season, the World Series, you have football as well. Bet Online remains your number one spot for all sports action this season. Head to their new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. All you have to do is use the promo code Locked On. That's one word Locked On to receive your bonus from basketball, football, baseball, NHL, boxing, UFC, or right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your favorite sports. Bet online where the game starts. So let's jump back into this all prospect team with probably the least surprising prospect on this list and the third Royal. Three Royals on this list. And it's Bobby Witt Jr., of course. Number one prospect in baseball, according to our top 100 list. And I think he should be number one according to every top 100 list. And the numbers this year, just just outrageous. Between AA and AAA, and this was really his first full professional season besides a short stint and rookie ball, 290, 361, 575 slash line, 33 homers, 29 stolen bases, one bag away from 30-30, 97 runs driven in, 143 WRC+. Plus. And don't forget, it's really 34 homers. He had one homer taken away from him because of that crazy umpire that claimed he didn't touch home plate when he very clearly did. So it really was 34 homers. I can't say that he had a stolen base taken away from him, but so close to 30-30, it only took him 90 games, I believe, to get to a 2020 season, which is just spectacular for a 20-year-old in his first pro season, really, besides the short rookie ball cameo we got from him in 2019 after the draft. He's as special as it gets because it was hard. There were some players that I, I wanted to include uh, in the shortstop position, especially because there were so many shortstops that had great years. But what Bobby Wood Jr. did on the defensive side of the things as well was just incredible. Of course, I considered Volpe. I considered so many different players in, in this spot. But Bobby Wood Jr. was also a human highlight reel defensively as well. And to do what he did defensively on top of what he did offensively and on the base paths, and it's just too much to, to look past. It really is. I mean, he is as special as it gets. His at-bats were just so, so good. And when I saw him at the Futures game, that's where he really stood out to me. Because at the Futures game, he looked like a 10-year vet facing a bunch of high-end prospects. He just seemed so comfortable. No matter who they threw at him, he just barreled everything. He just looked beyond, beyond comfortable. I, again, another guy that I think is big league ready now and should have a chance on the opening day roster this coming year, depending on the whole service time situation. Spectacular year. Walked just enough at a 9% clip. Got on base at a 361 clip. Gets on base. Does everything defensively. A true five-tool player. So, so fun to watch. And he's going to be one of the faces, I think, of Major League Baseball pretty soon. I really do think he's going to be one of the faces of Major League Baseball very soon. He's got a Fernando Tatis type of skill set, but he can actually pick it at shortstop too. Maybe not quite as flashy 
as Fernando Tatis, though, I do think he's going to make those highlight reel plays and those flashy plays. And he can hit the 470-foot homers as well. And I think in the major leagues, he could push even more than that with the major league baseballs and the high velos and everything. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch this guy play in the big leagues next year. Moving to the outfield. You got to know who my first guy is here. And I would love to say that is confirmation bias, but he made it easy on me because there's not really much debate here. Brennan Davis is one of the outfielders that makes the cut. I'm not saying he's number one. This is no order as I go through the outfielders, but of course I'm going to go to Brennan Davis first. So maybe there's a little bit of bias there, but the numbers between high A, double A and triple A, because he made his way up through three levels this year. Amazing. Amazing. And I know that if you've been listening to the podcast, you've probably just have my voice just saying Brennan Davis just ingrained in your mind because I was talking about him uh, from the end of 2019 since the origins of this show. But I mean, it's just been so cool to see him really even exceed my crazy expectations on him. He had a fantastic season, 260, 375, 494 slash line, 19 home runs, 44 extra base hits, 141 WRC plus, fantastic defense and center. And I mean, he was just foul pull to foul pull with the power. He had the speed that doesn't quite make it into the base paths yet. He doesn't have uh, the ability to steal bags that you'd like to see. And that's, you know, not a make or break part of his game because the bat plays so well. But I just love how easy his power is to all fields when he is able to turn on it. I mean, he can hit it as far as anybody, but he can also stay inside of the baseball and drive it out to right center. He's comfortable catching it deep. He showed much better plate discipline this year. Yes, he struck out at about 30% clip as well, but walked enough and again, hit for the power that you want to see. I really like how he looked in AAA, tighter strike zone. He has a good feel for the strike zone. And in those 15 games in Iowa, he had 15 strikeouts against 11 walks. Much better there. Strikeout rate dropped a lot in AAA. That tells me he's more of a guy that has a feel for the strike zone, isn't going to swing through pitches as much. You see the guys that have the strikeout rates that jump in AAA, it's because they are not as comfortable with their approach. Those guys in AAA on the mound have a better three-pitch mix and are able to command it better. And they pick apart hitters who are struggling with their approach that swing and miss through pitches that aren't very comfortable making adjustments in at-bats. Brennan Davis can do that. And I think that's why we really saw his strikeout rate drop in AAA because the strike zone tightening up was something that really just benefited him big time. He seems a lot like Matt Kemp. I'll always maintain that he's got that Matt Kemp light type of profile to him. Probably not going to steal bases like Matt Kemp did early in his career, but I like the way the bat plays. There's a lot of similarities there, and I think he can stick in center field. Really excited. Of course, there's a little bit of risk there. There's a similar profile to Aaron Judge with some of the swing and miss, but the good athleticism and still solid on base uh, on base numbers. But I do want to see him cut that K rate down a little bit more next year. Regardless, a monster season from the Cubs' number one prospect, a guy that I am so excited to see start the year, I'm assuming next year in AAA, and force his way up by midseason to the big leagues. Might be a little bit of a learning curve for him in the big leagues. when he, If he struggles a little bit early on, I wouldn't worry about it. He struggled early on in his promotion to AA and then really settled in there. He's that type of player. He's got to feel it out. He seems like a feel hitter, and that's exactly what's going to happen once he gets to the big leagues as well, and I expect him to do the same thing he did in AA. Take probably 30, 40, 50 plate appearances, maybe a little bit more than that at the big league level, and then he'll get comfortable, but very excited about this kid. And Chicago fans, Cubs fans, should be very excited. He could be the face of the franchise, that type of player. Next guy, I mean, how could I go to anybody other than this dude, but... 
Julio Rodriguez of the Seattle Mariners, number three prospect for me in baseball. And gosh, this kid is just as special as it gets in the outfield. He had as good of a year as you can humanly have, uh, especially given the fact that he's still just 20 years old. It's it's so easy to forget when you look at him because he's so physical. He's so big and the power is so easy and he's so comfortable at the plate that you wouldn't expect him to be 20 years old. It's just crazy. And I'm going to get into some numbers that are that are just mind blowing on him. But as it pertains to this year, J-Rod made made hitting look easy at every single level he played at. I mean, and he just is somebody that is just going to continue to hit through every single level and probably not miss a beat. There's a rare blend of power and hit tool that you just don't see very often where you got 70 raw power here, 60 game power and a 55 on the hit tool, potentially 60 on the hit tool as he continues to get there. I think there's a 60 potential 50 to 55 present. That is just something you you will dream on as a scout. On top of that, for how big he is and how physical he is, he moves quite well. He moves well in either corner and he could even play center field in a pinch because he takes decent routes to the ball and he has above average speed I do think he'll slow down a little bit if he fills out a little bit more he could slow down in terms of his speed but then he'll probably be a 40 plus home run threat as he's more of a 30 to 35 home run threat right now maybe it's still just unbelievable what he has continued to do has not slowed down broke his hand uh, right before COVID or right around that time I was a little bit worried about how he'd come back if there'd be a slow start for him but he stayed fresh during that whole time and just hit the ground running this year and was ready to go then showed really well in the Olympics for the Dominican Republic then comes back and was fantastic in double A as well he will be ready and I feel like I'm saying this with all these guys. These are all guys that are on the right track. And I'm going to say it with the next guy, too. Julio Rodriguez is ready to go next year. I'm, I'm sure that they'll start him in the minors for a little bit because he's so young. And I mean, we even saw Wander Franco start in the minors this year, although it was a little bit of a different situation. But the Mariners are looking to win now at this point. I think they're still looking at the future and they're excited about the future. But look at what they did. They almost made the playoffs. They almost forced their way in there. And they've got a ton of young players and I think they want to have Julio Rodriguez up there pretty darn early. I think they can justify holding him down for a little bit, but that's going to be a really fun outfield there with Jared Kalnick, Kyle Lewis, hopefully if he's healthy, and Julio Rodriguez. Like That's that's just so much fun. I'm going to be a Mariners fan uh, during the season next year. I'll just tell you that because I'm just going to enjoy watching them play so much, and I'm a big fan of that system top to bottom as I recently went through their farm system on here as well. To wrap up on Julio Rodriguez... I want to contextualize his numbers through his first 217 games with Wander Franco's first 215 games in the minor leagues, because we talk about how special Franco was or is now, but how special he was right from the get go in the minor leagues and how he just did not miss a beat coming up through every level and just continued to exceed already outrageous expectations against much older competition. But Julio Rodriguez was roughly the same age, maybe a little bit older, but he's still just 20. So roughly the same age through the same levels. Franco got up to, I think, AAA a bit earlier than we got to see Rodriguez really be able to get there. But still, looking at these numbers overall, 215 games for Franco, 217 games for Rodriguez. I'll start with Franco's numbers and then I'll go to Rodriguez. Wander Franco in his minor league career, 331, 399, 
535 slash line, which is just ridiculous. 27 home runs, 95 extra base hits, 275 hits, 156 WRC plus. That's pretty darn good. Now, let's hear Julio Rodriguez's numbers through just two more games. 331 batting average, 412 on base percentage, 543 slugging percentage, 30 home runs, 93 extra base hits, 277 hits, and 165 WRC+. So I know I just threw a lot of numbers at you and you're probably listening and don't have a notepad or you're not reading something. So I'll tell you the differences here. Julio Rodriguez has him tied in batting average, has him by 13 points in on-base percentage, has him in eight points in slugging percentage, three more home runs, two less extra base hits, two more hits, and a nine-point higher WRC plus in just two more games. And they roughly were the same age through similar levels. That kind of puts in perspective how special Julio Rodriguez is here. He is as special as anybody. And when I started to look at those numbers, I was like, man, maybe that guy's number one, number one prospect. I leaned Bobby Witt because of the defense. And from a pure war standpoint, I think Witt's going to accrue a higher war through his first few seasons. And that's where you really got to look at it from a war standpoint when we're grading these prospects. But I mean, oh my gosh, when it comes to the bat, J-Rod is, is right there with any prospect we've seen ever, ever. And another guy that has really not cared about how young he is despite being playing against way older competition, Riley Green. Riley Green, the number five prospect in baseball, have him ranked against Spencer, or ranked ahead, excuse me, of Spencer Torkelson. Not an indictment on Torkelson because Torkelson's seven. Riley Green's five in all of baseball. But I mean, what Riley Green did as a teenager, as a teenager in double A AA and triple A, I think he just turned 20 if I'm not mistaken. 301, 387, 534 slash line, 24 homers, 57 extra base hits, 84 driven in, 16 stolen bases, 148 WRC plus. This is one of the sweetest swings in the minor leagues, and he has done nothing but just rake since he entered professional baseball. Fifth overall selection in the 2019 draft, and has not only exceeded expectations that were already lofty, he's leapfrogged all of the college bats that were selected before and after him. He has just fast-tracked himself, besides Andrew Vaughn, has just fast-tracked himself, uh, which is just so fun to watch him play. And the athleticism is so sneaky there too, because he's a big dude. While he's not totally filled out yet, he already hits for power because of his bat speed and how well he leverages his lower half and his long levers. He is a good defender in either corner, but honestly, a very good defender in either corner, but I think he's capable of sticking in center. He gets quick jumps on the ball. His closing speed is great. He makes some circus catches, which we've seen him make in the past, he has the ability to stick in center. And the fact that he can stick in center with the offensive production that you get from him, he reminds me a lot of Michael Brantley, except with more power and maybe just a little bit more swing and miss because Brantley legitimately just never caved through his entire MLB career. Similar profile, though, with the 20 to 25 home runs. I think Green can push more, but if we're talking about Comerica Park, he'll probably be more in the 25 range. He'll steal bags. He'll play good defense. And Brantley never really played center after the early years. So it's really a maximum value here with Riley Green if he's playing center field, hitting the way he's hitting, and just continues to get better. One of my favorite prospects in baseball, just so darn good. Next up 
is the DH position. And, and I had to throw this guy in here at DH, and it was tough. I was between him and Torkelson, but because of the defense, even though it's DH, it's just DH was buying me another spot to be able to put another hitter in here, I'll be honest. Anthony Volpe, as I mentioned earlier, just too insane this year to not have him on here. Another player that after he was drafted, we're kind of waiting and seeing, is he going to be a justifiable pick there for the Yankees? Didn't get to see him last year. Another player who had questions about how he was going to hit, how much power was going to be there. Great defender, good speed. Well, the power showed up, and it showed up big time between low A and high A this year. 294, 423, 604 slash line, 27 homers, 68 extra base hits, 86 RBI, 33 stolen bases, 107, 170 excuse me, WRC+. Plus. Stolen bases are a little bit of a messed up stat this year in the lower levels because they were experimenting with pickoff rules and all that good stuff, or I should say bad stuff. Mavolpe's a smart base runner, knows what pitches to run on, and also just has enough speed to swipe 20 bags, no problem. Could probably swipe more than that at the big league level once he gets there. But for his 19-year-old season to do what he did between low A and high A, so good, doesn't strike out a lot. And again, somebody that, despite the limited stature, just started to hit home runs. And while he doesn't hit 450-foot bombs, he's able to get carry and hit it over the wall. And you know what? They count the same. You hit it 600 feet or you hit it 360 feet in a 355-foot fence, they both count the same. And Volpe's home runs are going to translate because he's going to play in Yankee Stadium. And with the Major League Baseballs, they're just going to carry more. And his power will be perfect because he's foul pole to foul pole, goes gap to gap. He's more of a doubles hitter that gets carry because of how well he's able to backspin baseballs and then get out of the yard. And that's what he's going to do, I think, at Yankee Stadium for a long time and hit a lot of homers and a lot of doubles and be a really consistent, good bat. No doubt sticking at shortstop for me. Very exciting prospect. I have him ranked ahead of Jason Dominguez. He's number 23 on my top 100. Just a spectacular year from him. One of the many, many exciting, exciting prospects that just blew up this year for the Yankees and they were able to hold on to him. (laughs) I forgot that I also added, I'm looking at my notes and also have the article up at JustBaseball.com. I was so desperate to add this guy in who I mentioned in the last episode. I did an alternate outfielder. So I guess the fourth outfielder because I couldn't help myself. Joey Weimer, who I mentioned in the last episode, absolutely raking in the Arizona Fall League now between low A and high A, 295, 403, 556 slash line, 27 homers, 30 stolen bases, 47 extra base hits, 155 WRC plus. He's so much fun to watch. Plays, like I always say, like his hair's on fire. 14 home runs in 34 high A games. I don't even know how that's possible. He's just ridiculous. 12 home runs in his entire three-year collegiate career and then 14 home runs in 34 high A games. You think he figured something out? He absolutely did. Again, reminder, definitely go check out that interview that I did with Weimer a few, we actually, probably a couple months back now. Uh, time really flies. To the pitchers, as we're already running long now here, Shane Boz. There's no way that I could start with anybody other than Shane Boz, who was just otherworldly this year between double A and triple A. Workload was a bit managed by the Rays, only 78 and two thirds innings, 2.06 ERA, 2.76 FIP, 0.8 WHIP, 12.93 Ks per nine. 180 opponent batting average. The big key for him, as I've talked about in some previous episodes, is that he just simplified the mechanics. He basically looks like he's yawning as he's pitching, but the Rays, they saw that they could simplify things and it's not going to come at the expense of his velocity, quality of stuff, or protecting his arm. It's actually going to help protect his arm even more because it's limited effort. So all really good things there from 
Shane Boz and the command really, really turned around for him. It was just a total 180 in regards to that command. And that was all that was missing. The stuff was crazy. He got the call up, ended up pitching in the postseason for this team. He's going to be a frontline starter for them by next year. And I can't wait to watch this guy throw. I loved what I saw from him. And I did a couple episodes, full breakdowns on him that you can dive back into from maybe a month ago as well. The other pitching prospect, Matt Brash. Brash was special this year. He throws absolute frisbee, wiffle ball, whatever you want to call it, sliders that don't even make sense. They defy physics. They're Blake Trinan-esque. High A, double A, 97 innings, 2-3-1 ERA, 3.18 FIP, 1.14 whip, 13.1 strikeouts per nine, 178 opponent batting average. All around, just a dominant year on the mound. There's some reliever risk there, but I thought he hedged that quite a bit this year by showing some better command and also showing some more comfort with his secondary stuff, even at times flashing a changeup, flashing even a variation of the slider with a little bit of a cutting action on the slider that he manipulates. Velocity ticked up from 90 or to 94 to 96 range. He's able to set the tone with the heater a bit more. And now with even fringe average command, he is going to be a guy that is a high swing and miss starting pitcher if he can continue to refine that third pitch and continue to maybe get that command a little bit better. He's still walking about four per nine. If he can get it to the three and change range, I'll have confidence in him as a starter, but he could be a wipeout bullpen arm for the Mariners tomorrow, literally tomorrow if they needed him to. But I want to see him develop as a starting pitcher because he has just been a late bloomer out of Niagara and continues to get better each time we see him. So let's try to maximize that value there before we decide to uh, move him to the bullpen. But that's a really good fallback there. Speaking of Max, Max Meyer, the Marlins saw something in this guy and the Marlins don't do very many things well. But if there's one thing they do exceptionally well as of late, it's identify pitching talent and develop pitching talent. And a lot of people, myself included, were a bit surprised to see the Marlins go with Max Meyer at the number three selection in 2020 over Asa Lacey. Clearly was the right decision there because Meyer, at least this early, it looks like the right decision. Meyer got the start straight straight to double A. Starts his professional career in double A and just shoved. And then got the call up to AAA for a little cameo at the end of the season. But between the two levels, 111 innings, 2.27 ERA, 3.21 FIP, 1.19 WHIP, 10.5 Ks per 9, 220 opponent batting average. Max Meyer's bread and butter is his fastball and his slider, which are both 70 grade pitches. The slider was just ridiculous. And he can throw that slider 12 times in a row and guys still won't hit it. He locates it well. He manipulates it. Sometimes it's more sweeping. Sometimes it's it's sharp and late breaking and more of a location pitch. And other times he can get you to look stupid and swing way out on your front foot. He showed a little bit more comfort with the changeup. I need to see more of that changeup. And at times his command was a bit sporadic, which is surprising because he's so athletic and repeats his mechanics well. I think that's something that'll be answered next year. He showed towards the end of the year and down the stretch that his command would be fine, and and I'm not too worried about it in that regard. Really good year. First professional season to do what he did. Uh, Going straight to double A is is spectacular. Last pitcher that I got to mention here, someone that I've been talking about forever, Grayson Rodriguez, my number one pitching prospect in baseball, just edging out Shane Boz. What a year for this guy, who I was expecting to have a massive year, as I've talked about since the beginning of this show, and he exceeded my expectations and then some. 103 innings between high A and double A, 236 ERA, 267 FIP, a .8 whip, and then this is where it just gets ridiculous. 14 strikeouts per nine. 14. 1-4. 
and a 159 opponent batting average. I mean, it's just it's just ridiculous. He has comfort throwing really four different pitches. He releases from a low release point, which is great when you have the electric stuff from a 6'5 frame like he does. Ball just explodes out of his hand. Looks like it's rising with the spin that he's able to generate. So hard to pick up the difference between the slider and the fastball out of his hand. He's now developed this changeup that's already flashing plus, which again, off of a very deceptive release point overlaying with the fastball and the slider, the changeup plays up. And then he even has comfort throwing in a cutter and a curveball at times as well. He is going to be not only an ace, but I think an ace is ace. I think he's going to be one of the best pitchers in baseball, maybe the best pitcher in baseball. I, that is crazy to say, but that's how high I am on this guy. He will be bigly ready next year if the Orioles want him to be, but I doubt they want him to be at this point. They'll have him pitch a majority of the year in the minors between double A, maybe a little bit of triple A, and then maybe we'll see him at the end of the year. But he's got everything you could ever want in a pitcher. Size at 6'5", 200 plus pounds, 220, I believe. And he gets... He gains velo as the year goes on. So, I mean, what else could you want in a guy? He is so special. And the Orioles, they don't have a ton of pitching in their system, but this is a guy that can really hold down the fort, uh, even if you don't have very many guys other than him. Obviously, just talked quite a bit about Grayson Rodriguez in that Orioles farm system breakdown from last week. But my gosh, this guy could watch pitch all day. Can't wait to see him a little bit more in person moving forward. If you want to see the full write-ups on this entire all-prospect team, the prospect all-star team, it's embedded in the description. And of course, you can check out all of the prospect stuff I have going on, all the articles and information and the top prospect lists at justbaseball.com. As always, thank you for listening and I look forward to talking prospects with you tomorrow.